Julia is here. For those of you with children who'd like to get your Bible bags, meet her at the back, and she will provide those for you. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going back again to the history book of the uh, author Luke, who wrote a very detailed account of the gospel and then wrote a very detailed account of the early church. The title of the book is actually Acts of the Apostles as they began the Church of Jesus Christ. Next week we will see the birthday of the church and the, the wonderful events of Pentecost Sunday and all that it means. When we come to this section of the, uh, the book of Acts, the very beginning, it's a transition moment, as we'll see in a moment. One of the interesting things about the church that Jesus built is that it is built on people. Uh, people created, of course, in his image to fulfill the image of God on earth, to be able to love and care and provide as he provided. And he gives us the ability as human beings to choose to love and to worship or to choose to not love and to not worship. And that choice is, in fact, a lifelong choice. It doesn't, uh, it isn't made one time and then you never again choose whether you're going to love or not. It's an ongoing choice. It's an ongoing choice of worship. I often think, uh, Doug and I often talk about this, that there's a difference between building a church of people and building an actual structure. And so I want to use an analogy for a moment. Imagine that you and I are building a brick building. And we work very hard at identifying just the right bricks and just the right place. And we prepare the brick and we prepare the mortar and we prepare the place and we put the brick in that place. And then it becomes a part of this beautiful structure of a building. But as builders do, we go on. We go on and we place another brick and then another brick. And over the course of a year, we're now working over here. And there's these bricks over on this side uh, that we placed a year earlier. And imagine that these bricks have freedom of choice. And so they say, you know, had enough of this. I'm out of here. And so they get up and they leave. Now you have a big hole in the structure uh, that we're building. The bricks above those bricks now are in midair and not sure what's going to happen. The surrounding bricks are no longer being supported uh, by those bricks. And we have this uh, uh, fascinating hole in our structure. Now you can see how that making a building that had freedom of bricks uh, could create an ugly and very unstable kind of structure. And it would be, of course, a dangerous structure to be a part of, or it could collapse. And yet the fact is that that's what Jesus is building on earth. He's building a building of human beings who have freedom to choose. Not just to choose to, at one time, become a part of the church of Jesus Christ, but the freedom to remain as a part of this structure. We are called of God. We're gifted of God. We have our place. He puts us there in that wonderful place. And we're a part of the great mission uh, that God is doing in the world. And this gifted and, and place structure is, of course, something that allows there to be a presence in the earth of the people of God doing the work of God on the mission of God. And so it would be expected, though it's disappointing and horribly damaging, that some of these free will people who once chose to be a part of the church 
worldwide, this global church of God, would decide not to be. They could either decide to never become a part, and therefore the part that God intended them to fill is never filled, or they could, in fact, become a part, and for various reasons in their lives, they decide to leave the Church of Jesus Christ and to go into a different place in their lives. Now, you can imagine, of course, the fallout of that. And it's true, and we see it. There's an ugliness that happens when the Church isn't the full Church of God, uh, doing the work of God. Now, you would think that if the Church of Jesus Christ is so important, and it is vitally important, it's the means whereby God is bringing salvation into the world through your witness, through your work, through all of us being a presence in the world, you'd think, okay, that is too important to leave to human choice. I need to just decide it and, and put every person where they are and not give them the choice to love or not love. I want them to just be who they are. Now, if he did that, of course... This church of love, this church of willing worship of God, this church of community would be a very different kind of thing. It would be an obligation. It would be a duty. It would be some kind of responsibility that you have no choice but to do. And the whole enterprise would be very different. It would not be the church of Jesus Christ. It would be something where freedom has been removed, where choice has been removed, where love and worship has been removed. We come this morning to one of the most important and yet underplayed holy days of the church, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the day Jesus said to all of us, all right now, I've laid the foundation, you build the church. You go into all the world and be my witnesses. You teach them everything I've taught you. You begin to build a structure, a presence on the earth that is the solution to this great struggle of humanity. It's now your turn, and it's your place to do that. Wait until, of course, the Holy Spirit comes upon you in just a few days. Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. Ascension was 40 days after, so about 10 days. Ascension happened earlier this week. And so in this moment, he is saying, let the Holy Spirit come and let the Holy Spirit do its work and then be my witnesses. So Jesus is coming to that moment where he's taking them to the mountain and he's having his own exodus event where he's returning to the Father. And in this moment, we want to enter into the disciples' responsibilities as Jesus defines them to us in that moment of ascension. So Acts chapter 1, and we're going to begin with the first verse and go through the 21st. Luke writes, In my former book, meaning the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, God lover, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. You remember when we did the upper room discourse, he promised the Holy Spirit. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now keep that open before you. Let's pray. Father, we've come into this intimate moment of the sacrament aware that we're a part of something that has been active within humanity from the very creation of the first human beings. That you want a loving relationship. You want to walk with us in the cool of the day. You want to know us and be known by us. And this sacramental moment, this quiet, supernatural, natural event, is a moment in which we commune with you. I would ask that you would prepare us and speak to us and, and go uniquely to where each of us are, and that we'd each one be with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. To go back to the analogy of the brick building. I have a pastor friend who's a bricklayer, and we went to seminary together. And he would uh, lay brick, and I would tend him. I was a tender. I think there's a really pejorative term they use, but I call myself a tender. And uh, we earned a living together. Tending simply means that I do the work, and he does the laying. And I prepared the brick, the mortar. I assist in setting the strings so everything is straight. Clean up the site, uh, just doing whatever he can do so he's uh, quick in the laying of the brick because that's the art of the, the, the thing. And he has to have, of course, good formation and it has to look good as a whole. And there has to be uh, a good understanding of that. Now, using the analogy, imagine that the Holy Spirit is the mortar of this church built by people. You and I are the bricks, and Jesus is the bricklayer. A strong and beautiful wall takes the Holy Spirit at work in the mortar, holding us together, uniting us, helping us find our place of mission, helping us fill that God-gifted place that each of us are created to do. The Holy Spirit's mortar, of course, is applied in our lives by prayer and by worship, by fellowship and study, by service, by obedience, all the wonderful disciplines of the, of the Christian life. And when we follow that, we then experience lifelong fulfillment and increasing fulfillment. We experience commitment. We experience belonging such that wherever and whenever 
anything happens to one or the other, we weep with those who weep. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. There's not the competitiveness of human nature. There's the unity of the church. Jesus, as the bricklayer, has provided us with the straightness of the string, the word of God, the beauty of righteousness, the string of honesty, integrity, honor, respect, this necessary guideline so that we don't gouge the bricks who are around us or try to be above them or even below them. We're honest and faithful. We don't steal from them. We don't lie to them. We don't covet them. We follow the right lines, the righteousness of God. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us in our place, and as we follow the righteousness of God, we begin to experience such a fullness of what life is that we become witnesses to this life of God. We become a witness to the beauty to the integrity, to the fullness of it as he builds the church. I've always loved that description that he uses here in the first of Acts. It's different from the Great Commission that uh, Matthew records. But in Luke's version of this moment of commissioning, he says, you are to be my witnesses. You will go into all the world and simply say the truth about what you've seen, what you know to be true. You're going to be honest about it. You're going to tell everybody what you know about the Father, what you know about the Son, what you know about the Spirit, what you know about the life of God. You're going to talk about the many convincing proofs that have been given so that heart and mind can progress together in this journey of faith. You don't have to sell something. I think it's very significant that Jesus does not say, you will be my sales force. Nor does he say, you, can, you will be my enforcers, as though we are to impose this upon others. No, he uses the word martus. And it means literally to be a witness in a court of law or to be a witness of an historical event. You were there. You saw it. Over time, that Greek word, martus, became the English word martyr, meaning that we will not deny or denounce the truth we've witnessed, even if it costs us our fortunes or our lives. This morning, we as the Church of Jesus Christ are invited to enter into the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord. The truth that we both know with heart and with mind is that there is a reality worth dying for. Jesus demonstrated that truth. We are committed to entering into that death so that we can experience the reality of the resurrection and the glorification, the ascension of God to that eternal realm as he intended us each to live. Now, you do not have to be a member of this local church to partake in this global celebration of the church of Jesus Christ. We serve open communion. That means if you want to be with God, we invite you to come forward and to take within you this bread and this wine that God has demonstrated as his presence for us in that great mystery of the communion of the sacrament. And so we invite you. We invite you to come forward and to participate in this most sacred act.
the church has now for well over a thousand years used these words of the sacrament to prepare us for the communion experience. These words are a part of communion. Allow them to be your words directly. To all of you who truly and earnestly repent of your sins, who live in love and peace with your neighbors, and who intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways, then draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort, and humbly kneeling, make your honest confession to Almighty God. Let us confess together the general confession. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we confess that we have sinned, and we are deeply grieved as we remember the wickedness of our past lives. We have sinned against you, your holiness and your love, and we deserve only your indignation and anger. We sincerely repent, and we are genuinely sorry for all wrongdoing and every failure to do the things we should. Our hearts are grieved, and we acknowledge that we are hopeless without your grace. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us, cleanse us, give us strength to serve and please you in newness of life, and to honor and praise your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray the prayer our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. O Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who with great mercy has promised forgiveness to all who turn to you with hearty repentance and true faith, have mercy upon us. Pardon and deliver us from our sins. Make us strong and faithful in all goodness. And bring us to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray the collect. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is always right and proper, and our moral duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Everlasting God. Therefore, with the angels and archangels and with all the inhabitants of heaven, we honor and adore your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Glory be to thee, O Lord Most High. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost.
as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. We do not come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, with self-confidence and pride trusting in our own righteousness, but we trust in your great and many mercies. We are not worthy to gather the crumbs from under your table, but you, O Lord, are unchanging in your mercy. Your nature is love. Grant us, therefore, God of mercy, God of grace, so to eat at this your table that we may receive in spirit and in truth the body of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and the merits of his shed blood, so that we may live and grow in his likeness. And being washed and cleansed through his most precious blood, we may evermore live in him and he in us. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who gave in love your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who by his sacrifice offered once for all did provide a full, perfect, and sufficient atonement for the sins of the whole world, We come now to your table in obedience to your Son, Jesus Christ, who in his holy gospel commanded us to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until he comes again. Hear us, O merciful Father, we humbly ask and grant that we, receiving this bread and this cup, as he commanded and in the memory of his passion and death, may partake of his most blessed body and blood. In the night of his betrayal, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of this, all of you. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen.